class train. Welcome to season two of the Six String Hayride podcast. Welcome to the Six String Hayride mini rides. We're still worried about mama finding out we're in prison. We're still combing the neighborhood for the best guitar players. We're still really worried about explaining Saturday night on Sunday morning. But think of this as twice around the park, grab a quick one, and we will have you home at a respectable hour. On this mini-ride, we're going to discuss the iconic electric guitar of country music, the Fender Telecaster. The Telecaster has been played by a veritable who's who in the recording industry, not only in country music, but in rock, blues, rockabilly, you name it. Jim will give us a little information about the guitar itself, the history of the guitar, the manufacturer. And then we'll start talking about some prominent players across multiple genres. And we'll give you some really good examples of how you can hear what we're talking about when we speak of the tone and the clarity of the telly. Jim, why don't you tell the listeners how this guitar sprang into being? Folks, if you've been listening to country music for more than a day, then you have already seen and heard the fabulous Fender Telecaster Probably a lot more than you realized. Uh, it's really the most commonly associated guitar in country and Western music. And in rockabilly, it's second only to Gretsch guitars. It's an incredibly versatile instrument across country, rockabilly, straight rock and roll, and blues music as well. Uh, like Chris said, the, the list of people that have entertained us with the Fender Telecaster is just really impressive. The Telecaster is the first commercially successful mass-produced solid-body electric guitar. Back between 1932 and 1949, several luthiers and craftsmen experimented with the idea of building a solid-body electric guitar, but none of them made a significant impact on the market until 1950, when a cat named Leo Fender out of Fullerton, California, produced what is known today as the Telecaster. Leo ran an electronics repair shop called Fender's Radio Service, where he first repaired and then later designed amplifiers and electromagnetic pickups for musicians, chiefly players of electric semi-acoustic guitars, electric Hawaiian lap steel guitars, and mandolins. Players had been wiring up their instruments in search of greater volume and projection since the late 1920s, and electric semi-acoustics, such as the Gibson ES-150, had long been widely available. Tone had never until then been the primary reason for a guitarist to go electric. But in 1943, when Fender and his partner Doc Kaufman built a crude wooden guitar as a pickup test rig, local country players started asking to borrow it for gigs. Fender was intrigued, and in 1949, when it was long understood that solid construction offered great advantages in electrical instruments, but before any commercial solid-body Spanish guitars had caught on, that hand-built prototype, an unbranded white guitar with no model name, had most of the features of what would become the Telecaster. It's two years before Gibson and Les Paul team up to bring us the 
classic Les Paul guitar. Uh, when the Telecaster first comes out, the year is 1950, and it actually comes out in two different versions, none of which are called the Telecaster. In 1950, Fender steps out with a $139 model. I mean, this is 1950. $139 is a lot of money. And they come out with what is very close to the classic single cutaway Telecaster body design. They have a one pickup model that's called the Fender Esquire. And then they have a two pickup model, which very much the arrangement in what is now the classic Telecaster. And that one is called the Fender Broadcaster. So in 1951, the Fender has been putting out these guitars for just about a year. The Fred Gretsch company comes out and, and says, look, Leo Fender, we love what you're doing. It's friendly competition, but we already have a guitar out called the Gretsch Broadcaster. And there's this thing called copyright. And they were cool about it. Leo Fender was cool about it. They actually went to the Fender manufacturing plant and took the sticker part off of the headstock. So there's maybe about five to 700 guitars that were produced during the transition away from the broadcaster name that collectors have come to call the Fender no-caster because the, the sticker is just completely gone. And again, this was so they could still put out product, but honor the fact that Gretsch had already been using the name broadcaster. In 1951, Leo Fender changes the name to Telecaster. It's very much still the classic design. The body is a solid piece of wood. Uh, it's a huge saw and router on a slab, single cut piece of wood. And at the time, it was mostly ash. Uh, now they're also making them with pine. I have one of the pine ones. I think the quality is pretty good. The other huge innovation that Leo Fender makes at the time as the neck of the Telecaster is maple, and it's one solid piece. The older jazz guitars, I think from the 30s and 40s, those big hollow body arch tops, the necks are mostly two pieces, a combination of mahogany and rosewood that's glued together. The Telecaster, it's a solid hunk of wood. Body, again, from one slab of wood, it's a solid piece. The neck, one solid piece of maple, it's a tremendous tool to have. Uh, in fact, one of the more famous Telecaster players ever, Keith Richards, had the honor of introducing, uh, inducting, really, Leo Fender into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he put it so incredibly just proper, sweet, and simple. He said, Mr. Fender, thank you for giving us the tools. It gives you more range uh, on the sound of a Telecaster. Um, so, because I have several Telecasters, and some we like to keep like, strictly Tele, and others to give them some more. You know, if you're using open tuning, for instance, I'd put a humbucker on one end. It's, I mean, this is all highly tech, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, that 1951 Telecaster, when they switched the name, it's the classic single cutaway body style. There's two pickups. There's one volume, one tone. You have single coil pickups at the neck and then at the bridge. Uh, the body is front routed. So the knobs, the pickup selector, everything goes in through the front. 
And it's a fixed bridge, which really helps with the tone of the guitar, the intonation, and, and you can really be physical with the telly, and it, it's just fantastic. You can wrestle so many great tones out of it. Those first few years, the classic color and, and shape that they were putting out, uh, it's really become the iconic look of the Telecasters, that butterscotch finish with the black pickguard. Uh, if you look at the Bruce Springsteen album cover for Born to Run, there it is. If you look at all those great old TV clips of Luther Perkins playing with Johnny Cash, there it is. Uh, it's really the most iconic version of the Fender Telecaster. The guitar has undergone different versions and changes over the years. There's a reissue of the 50s version. There's the George Harrison model, which is based on a custom Rosewood Telecaster that George is playing on the Let It Be record and in the film footage from that time. as it was in 1951. It is fantastic. The neck pickup gives you a nice, warm, you can play some big, fat jazz chords on it, and it's just really sweet, great for ballads. On that bridge pickup, you get that famous treble and twang that just cuts through everything. Think of Buck Owens and Don Rich. Looks like I've got a tiger by the tail. Think of some of those classic Keith Richards riffs and it, that really defines the, the tone of the telecast. <laughs> Separate from the country guys, I would go back to that Jeff Beck Yardbirds period. listen to some Keith Richards in blues you have the great Roy Buchanan Mike 
Bloomfield and Albert Collins. Since we were just in Memphis on our last episode, you have the incredible soul music of Steve Cropper, that classic riff at the beginning of Sam and Dave's Soul Man. Cropper on a Telecaster. All the Booker T and the MGs grooves, Steve Cropper on a Telecaster. He co-writes and produces Sitting on the Dock of the Bay with Otis Redding and those beautiful little fills throughout that song. That's Steve Cropper on the Telecaster. I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. And of course, you know, we have Waylon Jennings. For lovable losers, no account boozers, and honky tonk heroes like me. Hey, hey. Uh, we have Danny Gatton, probably the most unrecognized great rockabilly guitar player ever. And you have Luther Perkins. You pretty much have damn near everybody the incredible Chrissy Hine. Metallic blue Telecaster. It's a sharp guitar, and she makes it sing. And Chris, I know that this is also, you know, one of your favorites when it comes to guitars. This is a six-string hayride. Uh, why all the love for the telly? Well, Jim, I think you hit the nail on the head by including Chrissy Hind at the end there. Uh, that riff on Back in the Chain Gang is just absolutely what that guitar can do in a non-country setting. Yeah, I agree with you. Clearly the preeminent guitar of electrified country music is the Telecaster. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is if you think of think of the environment in which you would be playing if you're Buck Owens in Bakersfield or if you're in a honky-tonk somewhere in Texas. You're going to be playing in a loud room full of loud people who are loudly drinking and loudly talking. You want an instrument that will cut through all that while maintaining a very specific tone that you want associated with your music. Um, 
Merle Haggard, for example, plays the Telecaster. I have a, just a stunning Telecaster with me today. This is the Fender Custom Shop Merle Haggard uh, signature Telecaster, and it's just such a cool, unique guitar. It's a laminate top on top of an alder body, or I should say alder wings, that have tone chambers in them, and then a maple center block. Uh, you also have this real smooth set-in neck heel for just a ridiculous flame uh, maple neck on this guitar, which I just love. It's just killer to look down at it and play. You've also got the cool tough dog inlaid up here, uh, as well as Merle's signature on the headstock. And then uh, on this guitar, we have the Texas Special pickups and a cool four-way switch here. Uh, I drank a little beer in a tavern, cry a little bit of these working man blues. Here comes that working man. James Burton is known for doing a little bit of work on the Telecaster. You mentioned Don Rich. Buck Owens goes on that list as well. The two of them with twin leads on the tellies that really defined the Bakersfield sound during the era in which it was truly emerging and becoming a large part of country music. What those two were able to do was nothing short of incredible. It's a massive loss to the country music world. When Don Rich passed away far too young. Back in 2008, Chris and I were on a musical field trip near Jacksonville, Florida, doing recording work at the Wani Music Festival. This was in April of 2008. And amongst the many incredible musicians we saw was a guitar player named Junior Brown, an incredible hybrid self-built guitar that junior makes that is half telecaster and half lap steel it's an incredibly weird looking instrument it's an incredibly fantastic sound junior brown like danny gatton is one of those people that should be more widely well known and appreciated now, Junior doesn't actually play a traditional Telecaster. He plays what he calls the Git Steel, where he took essentially the neck of a Telecaster and the neck of a pedal steel 
And he put them together and created his own unique instrument that is essentially like a double-necked guitar. If you ever see Junior live, he'll keep the slide in his pocket. Uh, he will play most of his lead lines on the telly. And then he'll switch and he'll play uh, using the, the steel. It's really something to hear. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you listen to some of Junior's songs like Broke Down South of Dallas. I spent all my bucks on a broke down truck. I broke down South of Dallas. You can hear some incredible work by this man. It's really a pity he didn't become or hasn't become, I guess I should say, a much bigger deal than he is. There's a band that I like, Pearl Jam, whose lead singer, Eddie Vedder, does play a little bit of Telecaster here and there. He will play a little bit of guitar on stage now and then. If you listen to the intro of the song Rearview Mirror, uh, that's all done on a telly, and Eddie plays that part live. I honestly don't know if he plays that on the record. But again, you can listen to this instrument not only in its the genre that it truly has defined, but in other genres as well. And you can hear why people love it so much. You're right to expand this list of these Telecaster players uh, so much, you know, all the way up to Pearl Jam. It, the fact of the matter is, and we kind of touched on this a few episodes back, talking about George Harrison and Keith Richards being such huge country music fans. Uh, if it wasn't for Buck Owens and Don Rich, if it wasn't for... James Burton, if it wasn't for Luther Perkins, Merle Haggard, we wouldn't be talking about Jeff Beck or Keith Richards or Bruce Springsteen with a Telecaster because it's these country guys in the 50s that made the guitar so appealing and, and such an already iconic thing for the guys of the 60s to latch on to. And I think the real bridge here between the two worlds is uh, Steve Cropper from Booker T and the MGs. He's in Memphis in the late 50s working sessions. And if you're in Memphis in the late 50s, musically, most days of the week, it's practically raining Telecasters. Uh, and he becomes a big part of the house band and the production team at Stax Records, where they take the, the rockabilly and kind of add some more horns to it and it becomes the soul music of that period. really the guy who's the 
kind of link between what Luther Perkins was doing and James Burton. And then when you get to, you know, Keith Richards and, and more of the rock and roll stuff, that's sort of the progression we're looking at. But again, if it's not for Luther and Don Rich and those guys early on, nobody's really talking about this guitar with the kind of reverence and the sort of cultural musical status that, that it has. Uh, it's a fantastic instrument. It's in so many iconic music photos with the, the people who play it. It's the Fender Telecaster. Uh, if you can get your hands on one, go with the classic butterscotch and the black pickguard. If you want to go way out, James Burton famously had a pink paisley one that he was playing with Elvis for a while. Uh, the guitar is all things to all people. Get your hands on one, turn it to 11. Let us know how much fun you had. You smell a beer. Well, naturally, I'm drinking beer. <laughs> this episode's drink, courtesy of John Wayne, is going to be a brandy one this time. And you can put the guitar down just for a minute. Think about what your next moves are going to be on it. Pour yourself a drink. Chris, what's the drink? The drink for this mini ride will be the Big Trail. Of course, the name is taken from the movie The Big Trail, which was supposed to be John Wayne's Big Break. Uh, the movie was made in 1930. Unfortunately, something else happened right around then that stopped it from being his big break, and that is the Great Depression. So, uh, unfortunately for Wayne, what was supposed to be his defining moment got put off as he continued to do a ton of B-movie westerns for the next 10 years. Woman, can't you hold that glass still? Uh, of course, sir. Now, down the hatch to my world's record. Down the hatch. Yes, sir. One and a half ounces of brandy, three quarters ounce of fresh lemon juice, three quarter ounce of sage simple syrup. I'll give you a recipe for that one in just a moment. Three ounces of club soda and a sage leaf for garnish. Now, for the sage simple syrup, you're going to need one cup of sugar, one cup of water, and 20 sage leaves. To make this syrup, you'll bring the water to a boil and remove from heat. Add the sugar and stir to dissolve. Add the sage leaves and steep the mixture for 40 minutes. Strain it, store it in an airtight container and refrigerate. The syrup will keep for up to two weeks. Now, to make the Big Trail drink itself, you're going to shake the brandy, lemon juice, and syrup with ice and strain into a highball glass filled with ice. You'll garnish that with the sage leaf. Uh, to bring out the sage flavor, smack the leaf between your palms before garnishing. Okay, listeners, thanks for joining us on this little trot around the park on this six-string hayride mini ride. As always, we'd like to remind you to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride. Or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. So Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Six String Hayride. Again, six is spelled out. And of course, listeners, when you're emailing us, since we're giving you drink recipes on these mini rides, we'd really enjoy it if you'd 
give us your idea of how to create a six-string hayride drinking game. What phrase do we say too much or too often or just enough that you think should be your cue to drink and hopefully not die? Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rocking bopping and very much unbroken so thank you for sticking with us we will see you down the road real soon and again whether it's in your home in your community wherever it is you do your thing keep your circle unbroken stay well stay safe and we'll see you real soon oh can the circle be unbroken by and by lord by and by there's a bitter home awaiting in the sky lord in the sky one of these days and it won't be long i'll rejoin them in a song i'm gonna join the family circle at the throne no the circle won't be broken by and by, Lord, by and by. Remember, the Force will be with you always.